these unrealistic expectations about what mothers should be doing or how motherhood should be, it puts a lot of pressure on moms that can sometimes take that adjustment beyond this sort of normal um, sort of realm into a period where mom can no longer function and it's really important to get support because your baby needs you. You're listening to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, the show that blends science and heart to bring you evidence-based tips and tricks for cultivating a healthy, wealthy, and meaningful life. Now, here's your host, therapist, yogi, and fellow full-life balancer, Dr. Caitlin Harkis. Welcome to Wellbeing Skills for the New Mother's Journey. This is a live Facebook masterclass, so some of you might be watching along live this morning, some of you then might be watching on Facebook at a later date, and some of you, of course, will be listening to this on the weekly Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, so welcome to everyone. The reason I'm offering it as a live and as a presentation is because I actually offered a lot of this content at a mother's group meeting recently, and I thought, well, this is actually something that I wish I'd had access to when I was starting out my my new mother's journey. So I wanted to share it with you at this moment in time in case you or someone you know might benefit from it. So let's get started. I just wanted to sort of contextualize you know, who I am presenting. A lot of you know me from the podcast. My name is Dr. Caitlin Harkis, and I'm a clinical psychologist. I'm also a yoga instructor. And this latter point is relevant because we are going to talk a little bit about yoga as we move through a conversation around psychological flexibility and how this might support our journey as new moms. I want to start out by giving you a beautiful quote that Myla and John Kabat-Zinn say. They say, in giving birth to our babies, we may find that we give birth to new possibilities within ourselves. New possibilities within ourselves. I think that this is such a beautiful way of highlighting that motherhood is this this birthing into, you know, it's a journey, it's a transformation. It's an incredible miracle, you know, from conception to birth to the incredible growth and development that's happening with your little one every day. It's one of these true miracles that we get to watch unfold in our lifetime. But with that, it comes with some challenges. I wish I could remember who said this to me, but someone once said, you know, it's like your heart is suddenly walking outside your body. There is this incredible vulnerability that comes with the experience. And it's also quite difficult because, you know, nobody at a baby shower or, you know, even when you're talking to parents, nobody really tells you how how transformative it's going to be and transformation is a really beautiful thing but it can be such a challenging thing and perhaps it's the case that even when we're hearing some of the difficulties some of the challenges that our friends our families might be experiencing maybe it's the case that we simply cannot understand the experience until we're in it and then another layer of complexity is that everyone's experience is different you know we all have different resources different areas where we feel more comfortable, areas where we maybe don't feel as comfortable, different support systems around us and expectations. So it's important to kind of understand that even though we might have had this experience, someone else's experience is going to be different. 
The other thing is, you know, with this idea of new possibilities within ourselves, I think that this really frames some of the strength that we see in new parenthood. There's a beautiful poem by Orion Mountain Dreamer. If you've ever taken a yoga class, for instance, with me, you will have heard it. But in the poem, she sort of says, you know, I want to know if you can get up in the morning weary and bruised to the bone and do what needs to be done to feed the children. You know, there's this incredible power that comes with caring for this little creature that's outside of yourself. The real struggles, I think, in early motherhood are that society is then messaging you, telling you, oh no, you actually need to be everything you were before. You need to really, and I say in air quotes, bounce back. Like, what does that even mean? Things are not as they were before, and I think there's a degree of acceptance that needs to come along with that and can be cultivated, but we need to understand the impact of society's expectations in order to be able to unpack that a little bit. So when we think of motherhood, often we've been fed these images of being in a white dress, you know, perhaps frolicking in the fields, you know, a little baby sleeping in its arms or we're looking over a sleeping baby in a cot. And and that's not really the way that most people experience it. If you listen to episode six in season one, you'll hear from Tiffany and she talks through these two questions that everybody asks new mothers. You know, first, is your baby a good baby? And again, I'm going to say that in air quotes, because what does it mean to be a good baby? You know, what's happening here is that people are getting at the idea of temperament. You know, some babies are more sensitive to what's going on around them and they need more cuddles, more support, more co-regulation with mom, which makes sense because at this early stage, babies do not differentiate themselves from their mother. It's very, very normal for young children and even, you know, through toddlerhood and getting a little bit on from there to have a primary attachment with one figure. They might have other attachment as well, but if it is the case that it's mom, that's pretty normal. So there's this temperament element that comes in and we have this concept in our society of independence and that somehow, you know, we as adults or as children need to be independent and we put that down on babies as well and none of that makes sense. You know, we're all even through adulthood interdependent, dependent on each other, but particularly these vulnerable little creatures we've birthed into the world. And then people come in with the second question saying, you know, is your baby sleeping? How's your baby sleep? Which has that inference of judgment like your baby. And I say again, in air quotes, should be sleeping. When we know that it's actually not normal for babies to be sleeping long periods of time. And I would suggest checking out the Possum Study Program, which is something that is running in Queensland, Australia, where they've done a lot of biological research on babies' sleep patterns and really demonstrated that it's actually perfectly normal for babies to sleep really short stints. And this is okay. You know, they might be what we call cat nappers, or they might have shorter periods where they sleep and that's totally normal it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with their development they're healthy little babies for the most part obviously if your baby's having trouble breathing or reflux or something else is going on you're going to check that out but not sleeping solid blocks of time isn't isn't cause for alarm however 
this is really, really tough for a new parent, you know, particularly if it's a mom who, you know, has gone through the experience of birth in whatever form that is. So that's quite a significant physical trauma. And then you add into that learning curves that are associated with new motherhood and the limited support that we offer moms in our society sleep deprivation in that context oh my goodness of course it's challenging and no wonder you know we all want babies babies to sleep because we need to sleep too and i i think this is where we want to look at what's going on around us expectations and supports i'll talk about expectations when we talk a little bit more about values in a moment but regards to supports If it is the case that one is struggling, it's really important to reach out and see what sort of supports are out there, whether it is local supports like through child and family services or asking friends or families to come over and cuddle your baby so you can have a nap or do the dishes so that when the baby is sleeping, you are also sleeping if that's possible. I know a lot of us have probably worn our babies to sleep because they sleep best that way. So when the baby's awake, if someone else can be playing with it, cuddling it, that might mean mama also gets a chance to sleep. This is difficult right now, given that it's COVID, so it's other layers. So as we're talking now about perinatal mental health, I would encourage you to reach out where supports where you need it. You know, we sometimes see postnatal depression as this really gross difference from the normal happy mother or what we perceive to be the normally happy mother but it's actually there's this continuum of normal adjustments to motherhood it is an adjustment nothing is the same as it was and when we have inadequate social supports when we expect the house to be spick and span for you to be the partner the friend the colleague to be back at work these unrealistic expectations about what mothers should be doing or how motherhood should be it puts a lot of pressure on moms that can sometimes take that adjustment beyond this sort of normal um, sort of realm into a period where mom can no longer function and it's really important to get support because your baby needs you babies really need to be able to connect in with mom that connecting in with mom really supports their long-term, you know, emotional, cognitive, even, you know, physical development. This is what we'll start to call attachment. And I'll talk about that in a moment, but first I want to highlight how, how normal and how prevalent this experience of a mental um, disorder or what I just like to call, you know, like real significant struggles in motherhood is about 10% of pregnant women worldwide experience um, a mental health disorder following, following birth and it's primarily depression. But what seems to be more common is this concept of postnatal depletion. So this is something I haven't actually found any peer review papers on this. So take it with a grain of salt, but it's something that a lot of mums resonate with. So it's a term coined by Dr. Oscar Serialci here in Australia, and it describes this fatigue that mums experience, this sense of baby brain and the sense that they, you know, are not able to regulate their emotions, that they're up and they're down, you know, perhaps crying for no reason or feeling like they're not good enough, they're not a good mum, that this experience 
maybe encompasses about 50% of the new mom sort of population and actually onwards up until seven years old is what uh, what's being, I, I guess, suggested here. Now, what's interesting, I think, is that Dr. Sariachi notices that people in his practice who fit the signs, the symptoms of postnatal depletion are more likely to then go on and develop postnatal depression, but it's not necessarily in the newborn phase. It can be later on, you know, a few years after the birth of one's child, which highlights the importance of supporting a mom's well-being and a mom's journey early on so that this continuous sense of depletion doesn't leave one vulnerable for, you know, these challenges down the track. So I want to introduce you to the concept of psychological flexibility as a way of moving through this prenatal period. We're not going to go too much into this. I recognize we've already been chatting for 20 minutes and it is my idea to try and keep this a little bit shorter since I know the time challenges that new parents have. But psychological flexibility is, in essence, the capacity to be able to notice and experience difficult thoughts, feelings, beliefs, memory, physical sensations, to be able to notice and acknowledge those experiences and still to move in a direction of heart, of value, to take this committed action towards being the mother, towards being the parent that you want to be, even if you're experiencing uncomfortable, you know, internal experiences, thoughts, feelings, bodily sensations. So with that in mind, there are a number of skills that support us to be able to live that sort of life. Like an example to put it in context might be, you know, that, that poem where I was describing being weary and bruised to the bone and still getting up to do what needs to be done to feed the children. That weariness, that bruising to the bone might be the uncomfortable experience that one is having, but it's still important for them to get up and to take care of their little ones. So that's the idea. You might feel irritated. You might be having thoughts that you are a terrible parent, that you cannot stand this for one more minute. And you can notice those thoughts, those feelings, and you can pick up your crying baby and cuddle it. So it's this idea that we can have these feels and we can still do what matters to us. That our thoughts, that our feelings are not realities or truths and they do not have to determine our behavior. You know, we've all probably had that thought, oh, I'm not doing it right, or this is not okay, but we can still keep moving forward and doing what needs to be done to the best of our ability in any moment. So with that, this really requires present moment awareness. So those of you watching on the screen right now will see at the top of this um, psychological flexibility hexaflex, there is a present moment awareness label. This is being able to connect in and notice what is going on for us in this very moment. Being able to notice those thoughts, those feelings, those sensational experiences, being able to notice the sense of baby in our arms or baby on our breast, to be able to notice our shoulders are tensing, are tightening, we're gritting our teeth, to be able to notice all these things. 
This is part of both the commitment and behavior change process as well as the mindfulness and acceptance process. I'll talk about what each of those mean in a moment, but first I'll talk through this concept of self as context because it also fits into both of these processes. So the self as context is being able to notice your experiences at this moment in time, but as as something that notices your experiences through time. You know, I bet that if you think back, you can go back to a memory of yourself as a little child at some point in time. You know, there's a part of you that is able to observe those experiences and to be able to observe everything that's happening and unfolding right now, the context. So yourself is part of this context that is unfolding at every moment in time, including this moment in new parenthood. So it's this ability to step back, and we'll talk about it a little bit more in a few exercises, but I think it's really important to recognize that our self is not something that's fixed in time, and particularly I think this is relevant as we talk about that transformative experience of motherhood. You know, the self is different in this context of now having a baby you're responsible for. In regards to the mindfulness and acceptance processes, acceptance, being able to acknowledge and notice the reality of this experience without fighting it, without resisting it, this is the process of acceptance. It doesn't mean that you like it. It doesn't mean that it would be your choice, but it's acknowledging, well, this is as it is and what's happening right now. Cognitive diffusion is the process of being able to step back to move back into almost that observing sense of self and notice those thoughts, feelings, sensations without being embedded in them. The easiest way to describe this is, you know, I'm having the thought that I'm a terrible mother. We're labeling that as a thought versus saying I am a terrible mother. When we're really fused, we're labeling that like it's it's a truth, it's a real experience rather than it being a thought. So these are the mindfulness and acceptance processes, and we can use different practices to be able to support us to cultivate mindfulness and acceptance. We can also be using some of these skills to cultivate commitment and behavior change. So making sure that we're taking the actions to show up as the parents we want to be, and that's where knowing our values, what we really want to stand for in this life, in this journey of motherhood, of parenthood is going to be important, and having the framework to be able to take committed action towards that, to be able to actually action those values so that there's something that we can see and be doing. So like I said, we're going to talk through all of these a little bit more, but first let's talk about emotions because that is something that really comes up, you know, for all of us, but particularly in this stage where where our hormones are changing so grossly, if you did have, um, if you did give birth to a baby. So what happens when you give birth is that your estrogen and progesterone levels suddenly drop and your oxytocin starts to go up. And this can create these very significant swings in experiences. So with the estrogen and progesterone dropping, it gives almost like these um, 
um, emotional symptoms, these PMS sort of mood swing type symptoms. And then the oxytocin is like this love hormone. So you can go from being on the floor in tears in one moment to suddenly thinking, why do I not have eight children? And this can be really difficult for us, particularly if we have the expectation or we have been fairly um, stable in our emotional experiences more so through time. But it's important to know in this context, whatever you're experiencing, your emotions are entirely normal. You know, emotions are universal and they are felt. So when we say emotions, you feel emotions in your body. This is a full response. And if you are feeling sensitive to what's happening, that's another layer. You know, you cannot will away emotions. They are not under voluntary control. I do not believe that you get to choose your emotions. There's something you experience. And they are not then in that sense right or wrong, but we might notice some emotions are helpful and some are less helpful in certain situations. That's okay. We can have uncomfortable emotions and still choose how we respond. So emotions come with them, this urge for action. You know, if you're feeling really irritable or angry, you might have an urge to, you know, throw a bottle against a wall or to, you know, we say spit the dummy. I think that this might be an Australian lingo because of the word dummy, but to spit the dummy. And, you know, we have these, these urges to lash out the go with irritation and anger. And we can have those urges and we can still behave in a really calm, composed manner. We can still gently set down the bottle, walk away from whatever we were doing, or we can feel really sad, like we want to curl up in a ball and we can still get up and, you know, dress baby in something warmer, whatever it may be. So while we might have emotions that are strong and that have urges associated with them, they do not have to control our behavior. In regards to acceptance, we talked a little bit about it before. Um, of course, there's going to be moments where we think, gosh, you know, I want a good night's sleep so badly or even 30 or 15 minutes. But if that is not what's happening in this reality, the struggle against it can often cause us more strain and impact our quality of life more than accepting the reality. For instance, if you would like your baby to go down for a nap, but baby is resisting with all its little might, you can continue trying to force baby to go for a nap. But what's I imagine happening in that scenario is you might notice more frustration, more irritation arising in yourself and baby might also be experiencing something similar. The metaphor of this rope picture that you might be seeing on the screen or if you're listening, just imagining a rope and imagining yourself standing on one end of that rope and on the other end is a monster. So you're engaged in this tug of war over a ditch. You are trying to pull the monster into the ditch, which is all, you know, your wants, your wills, you know, the way you want things to be, your frustration, your irritation. You are struggling against the reality of the situation, which is this monster and you are trying to pull it into a ditch fighting for all it's worth and the monster is fighting back so you are engaged in this battle the question is what would happen if you dropped the rope you know what would happen if 
On the other side, you were tired, you were exhausted, you were irritated if all that stuff was still there and you kind of went, okay, this is the way it is. You know, I'm tired, I'm frustrated and baby's not sleeping. I'm going to pick baby up and we're going to go do something else, you know, or I'm going to take some deep breaths and try something a little bit different. If we accept and acknowledge this is the way reality is, we are able to try something different because we're then no longer engaged in this battle of the way we would like it to be or the way we think it should be. It's not an easy practice, and I say practice because it's ongoing. We keep practicing it again and again. We notice when we're in resistance and we practice more. So diffusion, cognitive diffusion, was the idea of taking a step back and noticing our internal experiences. So noticing our thoughts, our feelings, our memories, our bodily sensations as they come up. It's this idea that we are trying to to notice these experiences rather than alter them in some ways. You know, we might be often fighting the thoughts we're having. You know, if we have a thought that, wow, my baby is incredibly annoying or frustrated, it's okay to have that thought. If we suddenly then go, oh, that's an awful thought to have. I'm an awful mother. I'm an awful person. Then we're adding this extra layer of suffering to the experience when a thought is just a thought. You know, thoughts are not truths, thoughts are not reality. And if we can practice languaging around that, you know, saying, I'm having the thought that, I'm having the feeling that, oh, I'm noticing this memory come up, or I'm feeling this sense in my body. It allows us to step back from these experiences and sort of reduce the literal content or quality of the experience we're having. We're not taking it as a direct experience of reality. So there are a few exercises that can support you in this because I think this is a really important one for moms. You know, when we talk about how society has all these expectations for how mothers should be showing up, it leads us to believe, oh, I should be having all these positive thoughts all the time and I should be okay, you know, and my baby should be doing X, Y, and Z and can lead to these feelings of guilt and shame around the experience. So I guess just to give you a couple more references in regards to managing all of all of that, check out season two, episode four. Um, that's where Justine talks a little bit through self-care and we'll be talking about that in a moment but I think what she acknowledges in that episode really beautifully is the struggle that she had with fertility and how her life should have been progressing as well as Megan Davidson in episode 13 season one she talks through shame resistance and this acknowledgement of shame and that this is a normal experience and part of being human and that we can embrace that in different ways as well as Jenny Rossier in season two, episode two, talking through the parenting wars, because another expectation that comes in our society is that we should be all loved up with our baby and all loved up with our partner, and things should be easier, should be a certain way, and I think these episodes can really help that. So we talked a little bit about language. One other language technique that might help you with the process of diffusion is to switch your buts to and. You know, for instance, um, I'm really tired, but 
I have to rock my baby. Perhaps if we switched our languaging to I'm really tired and I'm going to rock my baby, it sounds a little bit more empowering. It gives us this sense that we have choice, that there can be two realities, you know, that we can be tired and we can be doing X, Y, and Z. So just notice when you engage in self-reference and use the languaging of but, perhaps you could practice switching it to and. The other um, examples I have here is this idea that you could imagine you are driving a bus, you know? This is a good one to do when you're seated, perhaps nursing your baby and feeling a little bit overwhelmed. You might imagine that you're just driving a bus along and there are different passengers on the bus, some of whom might be a little bit unruly and they may be yelling at you to turn left or turn right or to tell you that you're not doing a good enough job and why don't you just stop and let them take over and if you did that, you know, you'd never get to drive your bus anywhere. You'd be going in circles. So you can hear all of those things. You can notice all those things, which would be the thoughts, the feelings, the bodily sensations, and you can keep driving your bus. You know, you can notice them as passengers, letting their messages slowly fade to the back. Or what I really enjoy is a leaves on a stream exercise. So, you know, perhaps softening your gaze if you're holding baby in your arms or closing your eyes and just imagine watching a stream with leaves floating down. And then taking each thought, feeling, sensation that you notice and gently placing it on a leaf and letting it go. There are some really beautiful guided meditations on YouTube that you might like to listen to talking you through this or different meditation apps. You could put that on why baby is asleep in your arms or why you're nursing baby just to give yourself a little bit of peace or if you're having a tough time sleeping, which is such an irony when you're so exhausted, maybe putting something like this on can help. Present moment awareness. So we talked a little bit about this idea of being here now. So using your language can help you connect in with a direct experience of the world and cultivating this sense of yourself as a process. So present moment awareness helps you step into that sense of yourself as a process, as awareness, as a place where you watch these experiences unfold. And I think present moment awareness is particularly important and topical in regards to early motherhood because there's a concept of reflective mothering, which is based on reflective functioning. And it's this idea of knowing yourself. And in knowing yourself, you learn to better know your baby. So when you notice, wow, okay, I'm experiencing overwhelm, like a sense of anxiety right now. Oh, I'm noticing I'm having these really uncomfortable thoughts. Oh, I notice that I'm feeling real shame or guilt or irritation. When you notice these experiences coming up, you notice them as internal experiences and something that you are having rather than necessarily projecting it onto your baby. You can notice your baby's own processes coming up and start to hold their mind in your mind, their experience in your mind so you can respond to them in an effective manner. So this is really, really important because as you respond to your baby's cues, you know, in the first few weeks and months, it's really just getting to know your baby. This isn't something that happens off the bat, but as you start to be able to respond to them and hold their mind in, in your mind, in, in your heart, I like to say, they then learn how to do that for themselves. 
So when you practice noticing what is going on for you, it is really giving your baby the best gift because your capacity to reflect on your internal experience is really going to teach your baby and enhance your attachment with your baby because if you can respond to what baby needs in any moment in time baby's going to feel safe secure and they're going to develop a really secure attachment with you and this is something that is really developed in the first 18 months to three years of life. So if your baby is crying, it's important to notice your baby's in distress and that you soothe your baby. Baby is not an individual entity. They are in co-regulation with their primary attachment figures. And again, Dr. Jenny Rossi talks a little bit to this in episode two of season two, but if you go to her website, Relationships Love Happiness, she's got a really beautiful series of videos on attachment and talks through this in much more depth. And this actually highlights why approaches that are like cry-based in regards to sleep are not 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 effective from an attachment framework and can be very very distressing for a little baby so it's nice to have those resources and check out her work to keep this in mind i think it would also be helpful to have a listen to tiffany's episode number six again because tiffany talks through the village app which is this app she created to keep new parents in contact and in connection And that's really useful because as new parents, when it feels really isolating and we're getting these messages from people who might not remember their baby's not sleeping, it can feel helpful to message, you know, mentor parents or other parents who are on the same journey to have normalization of the experience because a lot of the discomfort and distress we experience is based on our assumptions of the way things should be or our judgments of the way things should be and I think it's important when we kind of go oh well actually this is pretty normal it takes some of the sting off of the experience but again it's important to make sure that we have resources and supports in place so connecting in with values might actually guide you to what is important you know if you have clear values in regards to your mothering, to your parenting, to yourself generally, it allows you to choose how you respond moment to moment, even when you might be feeling uncomfortable thoughts, feelings, bodily sensations. So this is what's going to allow you to lead a really vital life, a values consistent life to feel like you're showing up as the mother you might want to be, even though it will not be perfect. To put that in context, you know, there's, um, there's some evidence, some frameworks that suggest that really responding to baby's cues effectively 30% of the time develops your cure attachment, that that's good enough. So sometimes we're going to miss cue because we're human. You know, there's going to be different thoughts on your mind. You're going to be multitasking sometimes. That's okay, but try and show up as best you can in the moments you can. And that's going to allow you to cultivate this secure connection with your baby. In having clarity in your values, you can also start to disentangle what is important to you and what might be expectations of society. So if you go, well, one of my values is being really patient with my baby and, you know, really responding to my baby being there when they need me. 
And nowhere up on your values list comes having people really think my house is, you know, spick and span or, you know, that I am, you know, dressed immaculately if fashion is not showing up on your values list. Then maybe on days where you're exhausted and your baby's going through a wonder week, perhaps rather than focusing on getting the house clean or getting yourself done up, you're spending that time with baby and napping and doing the things you need to do to show up for your baby. It can offer clarity. You know, there's going to be times where you do have to do the other stuff, you know, and that is important because perhaps your well-being is also associated with having a nice place in which you're living and perhaps you do feel better about yourself and clearer in the world when you've had a shower and gotten dressed. So It's going to be a little bit different every day and a little bit different for everyone, but I would encourage you when you have a moment to take the time to reflect on your values, to figure out what's truly important to you so that the expectations and the shoulds of society have less sway because you know where your heart lies. And with this, I want to ask you, you know, are you mothering yourself? You know, are you finding flexible ways for self-care? Because I imagine it would be incredibly, incredibly different, pardon me, difficult to show up as the person you want to be if you haven't got some reserves in the bank, so to speak, if you haven't had the space to check in with yourself, to tune into yourself And flexibility is going to be important here because life isn't the way that it was before. I remember when I was teaching yoga, I would have, you know, a student that I hadn't seen in ages come into a class and I would say, oh, wow, I haven't seen you in years. And they would say, oh yeah, like I had kids. And I was thinking, what? But why haven't I seen you? And, and then I had a child and I got it, you know, doing the things that you used to do is not necessarily as accessible, but there are ways to do things flexibly right now with COVID while COVID has, um, hampered a lot of opportunities and options for going out and connecting new options are available you know there's for instance and i'm coming from a yoga framework because it's something that's important to me there are zoom yoga classes available there are websites like emily um, sandos in season one episode 19 talks through the do yoga with me website as well as talking through how she started a yoga practice with 10 minutes, just doing it at the foot of the bed while she had, you know, young children. So it doesn't have to be these long periods in time if that's something that's interesting to you. The reason I think yoga can be a useful place to start, whether that's just, you know, doing a little bit of mindful movement on the ground while baby's playing on its tummy, or if you're kind of cuddling baby, doing a few, you know, lunges or balancing, is that gets you in contact with the sensations that are happening inside of your body. So you start to notice. And as we said, emotions are physical experiences. So if you can start to be more sensitive, more aware of your emotional experience, then you will know notice emotions at an earlier stage before that intensity is much higher in the action urge that may not be helpful as much stronger so that might be a useful place to start mothering yourself might mean a bubble bath it might mean organizing with your partner or your mom to take on some of the responsibilities so that you can have a bubble bath so that you can have a nap so that you can go for a walk around the block by yourself and call a friend it might mean taking your shoes off and standing outside 
with baby or doing things a little bit differently, but just starting to find ways that you can carve out some sense of yourself in this disorientating season, but also acknowledging it as a season, you know, and I think that's where Tiffany's app, for instance, is really useful because it puts in context with other people reminding you, okay, well, this is going to shift and it's not necessarily your mom or someone reminding you where it feels a little bit more triggering. It can feel different having this information coming from different people. I also think episode seven of season one with Dr. Jill Stoddard is really useful. Also reading her book, if you get the chance or listening to the audio book of Be Mighty is helpful because it talks through the experience particularly women have around anxiety and anxiety often comes with stress and stress comes with expectations and I think she does a fantastic job of offering resources for people to work through it so perhaps doing that internal self-reflection might come in the framework of self-care. So as I suggested, mindful movement might be useful. I invite you to stretch out your arms now, to do a little twist if that feels good, to maybe take a couple of breaths, to notice how you're feeling. And as you do this, I would like to present, you know, the most important caveat. I don't think there is any right way to mother. I'm new on my own journey. I was sharing this information recently at a mother's group and I thought it would be useful as I said to share with the community because some of these things have been useful to me were useful to me in my journey and some of it I have learned after and I think wow that that would have been a really useful way of looking at things or it would have been useful to have heard when I was at a different place so with this idea of practicing kindness and self-compassion for the mistakes that we have all inevitably made and will make perhaps check out episode 14 of season one on mindful self-compassion and allow yourself that space to acknowledge your humanness as much as your motherness and be kind to yourself you might also like to check out Stephen Hayes's episode. He's the founder of Acceptance and Commitment Therapy on which this you know, framework is really based and he talks through psychological flexibility more specifically in episode 9. And I also think Tiffany Rochester's episode 12 is really, really fantastic because she talks through getting comfortable with uncomfortable emotions. And this is in regards to your experience, but also if we're going to shift the burden and the weight that might be on oneself it might mean asking for help or doing things differently and sometimes that can be an uncomfortable conversation to have with different people in your life to get the supports you need so perhaps that episode could be helpful as well I have a little workbook that will allow you to work through the things that we've talked through today and allow you some time to reflect in on your values and how you might take committed action towards them. So if you head over to drcaitlin.com on Wednesday when this episode is released as part of the podcast, you'll then be able to download that workbook there. If you'd like it earlier, that's cool. Just email me hello at drcaitlin.com and I can easily send it out to you. Thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate your time and I hope that you have a wonderful Sunday, perhaps filled with lots of baby cuddles. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. 
please visit drcaitlin.com to connect, find show notes, other episodes, and to subscribe. While you're at it, if you find value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating or perhaps simply tell a friend about the show. Wisdom for well-being is not a substitute for professional, individualized mental health treatment. If you are in crisis, please contact 000, your local emergency number if you are outside of Australia, or attend your local hospital ED.